We made this. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. everyone welcome back to another episode of red and buried podcast i'm sarah i'm frankie and we have the fantastic helene kissed with us today did i say that right helene well done thank you very much <laughs> brilliant <laughs> first stress over brilliant thank you so much for joining us today it's my absolute pleasure we were just saying before we started recording i do my usual thing of i met helene at harrogate <laughs> But actually, I met her last year at Harrogate. She was so lovely and uh, we stayed connected on Twitter all this time and then saw you again. You were just as lovely, if not lovelier, even this year. And uh, so finally (laughs) dragged you on. So thank you so much, (laughs) Elaine. I'm delighted to be here and uh, and to see you every year at Harrogate. So I've got a bit of a bio about you, Helene, that I will read out now. I've pieced together through various bits on the internet. So hopefully it's all accurate and correct. So we will go and do that right now. <clears throat> so Helene Kist is a Glasgow-based Dutch writer. She was chosen as an up-and-coming author at Bloody Scotland 2018. She's written four books, a couple of which have been finalists in a variety of awards, both in the UK and the USA and have garnered many rave reviews online, including the notoriously fickle Goodreads. Her latest and fourth novel, Killer Bodies, is inspired by her hatred of exercise. (laughs) In a prestigious Edinburgh apartment building, gym receptionist Evie whiles away long hours doodling the deaths of residents who've annoyed her. On her birthday of all days, a man slumps off the exercise bike, dead. She tries to get help, but someone has locked the doors and the phones are out of reach. When another resident collapses inexplicably, Evie realises the deaths resemble those she drew and her sketchbook is missing. Was she framed or is she next? Killer Bodies is a modern locked room thriller full of old school impossible crimes with some visual surprises inside. Outside of writing, Helene lives in Scotland with her husband and two teenage children. As well as being an incredibly talented writer, she's also very kind, warm, supportive of other writers, and is always impeccably dressed. <laughs> well, I like this introduction. I, I think I should play it wherever I go, you know, like a bit like the soundtrack of Darth Vader. Helen is kind. I like that. That could be like your wrestling intro. You just blast that through the speakers. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's it. It's all true. So it is all true. One of my children is now an adult, which is quite scary. Uh, he's 18 now. So, and they are wow. both leaving home next month. We're going to have an instant empty nest. Wow. Is that exciting or terrifying or both? <laughs> <laughs> Bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Are you going to keep their rooms as they were or are you going to fill them with fun things for yourself? <laughs> we thankfully have enough room, but what I am stuck with is the cat. It's my daughter's cat. She begged for the cat. She was going to take care of the cat, which she did for the last three years that we've had him. Uh, But now I'm going to be poop scooper number one. Congratulations (laughs) on your promotion there. (laughs) So excited. (laughs) Yeah, parents' lot in life, unfortunately. So first of all, let's talk about Killer Bodies. I loved it. Me too. I I'm a fellow gym hater or exercise hater, actually, in general, (laughs) not just gyms. It it felt like 
maybe it was a location you were familiar with though I know you said you hate exercise but is it um based on perhaps a gym you've attended in the past or because no, I hate exercise so much that I don't even go to the <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize this until later uh when I started writing it there is a gym hating theme in all my almost all my books <laughs> My first book, uh, In Servitude, you know, I wrote kind of as a, as a bit of a midlife crisis when, oh, this year I shall write a book. And uh, they say, you know, you want to make a character that is nothing like you. So I made her a personal trainer uh, and, and subsequently tortured her through this book uh, where she tries to, to uh, extricate herself from the menacing clutches of Glasgow's underworld. And then in Stay Mad Sweetheart, which was my second book, and that's more of a corporate feminist thriller. There is a setup in a gym of somebody, but there's also a fairly gruesome scene uh, in a gym. And and then I, I wrote Killer Bodies. I'm like, oh, my God, you know, it's really showing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of people can relate to that, though. <laughs> yeah. Yes. What is it about it you hate so much and drives a murderous fuel in you? <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I don't like exercise. I, I wasn't a sporty child. Uh, and, you know, when I ran, I would get sweaty and, and then itchy and I hated all of it. Uh, I now do run 5K every Sunday. Um, and and wow. I do that with my husband. And if he's not here, then I tell him I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> but it's a way of catching up, actually. It's really nice. Um, he doesn't call it exercise. He calls it romance. Uh, I call it <laughs> exercise yeah (laughs) and that's about the extent but I do walk everywhere and I take public transportation and I you know I kind of have everyday movement rather than necessarily the heart pounding hit stuff yeah yeah definitely I think that's totally understandable and god some gyms you definitely get a toxic environment not just the smell necessarily but some of the the people in there and the characters I think you capture a certain gym type beautifully or a few gym types I should say in killer bodies so where did the inspiration come from other than your hatred of exercise <laughs> I'm specifically interested in the illustrations and things that in the book so yeah spoilers <laughs> they are so good I love them where did where did that idea come from well, I wrote a story about uh, the receptionist, right? And she, she's been scarred physically and emotionally in a previous job through an accident. Nobody will hire her. So she's got this kind of dead end job being a receptionist in a residence gym. And people are just not very nice to her because it's a very upmarket building. It's modeled on Platinum Peak in uh, New Haven, which is up, uh, just on the edge on the shore in Edinburgh. Uh, and I later found out that I actually know somebody who lives on the 12th floor of that building. So when I found that, I was like, can you send me some photos from of the view from your window? Because I need it for my view. I just need it up, you know. So can I have the actual view? And he sent it, which was incredible. But um, I wanted to write a locked room uh, mystery. I wanted to write one that wasn't on an island and didn't involve a snowstorm just to challenge myself. because. Mm-hmm. To set a, a, a proper locked room mystery in the middle of a city is quite mm. uh, tricky. You know, why can't they get out? Why can't they just jump through the window? Why can't they? And I also wanted them to be proper old school impossible crimes. So not just 12 people who are somewhere and one of them gets, you know, banged on the head or, or thrown down the stairs, but people who drop dead in front of you and you don't know how that happened. 
that also was just a challenge myself and oh boy was that a challenge uh, and and as you've read multiple people die in this way uh, and you eventually find out how they all died so I actually did some research uh, on the proper golden age love rooms and found that a lot of them were quite funny and uh, you know like a cuckoo clock that stabbed you at midday because we knew <laughs> that James always took a cup of tea and looked out the window at midday every day and and, and things like that and so I got a little bit giggly uh, associated <laughs> with that and there's therefore a lot of dark humor in this in this book also and it kind of was writing around you know uh, Knives Out had come out. Everybody thought that was really funny and great. And then the its sequel, Glass Onion, got sold to Netflix for half a billion dollars. So I thought, hey, I'm going to write a funny love story. <laughs> That's kind of happened. And, and I don't remember how or why I made the connection with the drawings that Evie would make the drawings. It was just kind of I was inhabiting her of how what would she be doing all day long while these people were exercising while she was murdering them. Oh, well, let's, let's make her an artist. Um, and then when, yeah, when I published the book, I thought, you know what? I described the drawings. Wouldn't it be fun to just have some in the books as well? So I hired uh, an artist to, to make uh, a few. I won't say how many there are because it's a surprise mm-hmm. yeah. when you're reading it. Um, so I just allude to it mostly. And I like the idea that people finish chapter one and go, oh, hello. Yes, exactly what I did. Same. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the fun surprise. They're really good. Like the t- they're just yeah, it really does bring it to life even though obviously you you do it beautifully with the words anyway, but yeah, those visuals are such a nice little visual treat as well. So really yeah, cool. Definitely. I was just saying to Frankie actually just before you joined Helene, it was so nice to have like a good classic locked room mystery. It's one of my favorite tropes anyway. And I hadn't realized until I started reading it that I hadn't read one in ages. And um, there's something quite, I said to you before, it's, it's raining here today. There's something quite cozy about it as well, uh, which maybe says something about my psychological state as opposed to mm. anything else. But it was kind of, yeah, it was just one of those lovely bits where you just want to curl up. And I actually read it in one sitting, which again, oh it my might gosh, be quite that's, that's sad. But... <laughs> she had a three hour bath. Hey, with your book. <laughs> I would just like to say I'm on annual leave from work this week. I'm not sure. just the world's worst employee. Um, <laughs> I didn't say when you did the bath, though. That could have been the weekend, but whatever. We think so. Just too much. To spend the day. <laughs> yes. So I haven't had the opportunity to read any of your previous books yet, but what, obviously, this is a locked room mystery. What general vein are your other three books in? Um, I. I just do what comes to me. So I have two um, that are a little bit similar in Mm -hmm. that they're set next door to each other also. uh, In Servitude, my debut, and then What I Hid From You, which is the third one. And both of those are well-to-do woman in Glasgow becomes accidentally embroiled with gangsters. Um, Brilliant. So in in Servitude, the the story starts with, uh, it's about a woman, Grace, whose sister dies. That's not a spoiler. It's the first sentence. Glory is dead. And and she comes to help the, the husband and the children and and to help run this vegan cafe that her sister Glory was running in Cholins, which is the very trendy area near me that is now, not then, but now definitely full of vegan cafes. <laughs> um, and uh, in doing so, discovers that her sister was indebted to the local gangsters and was uh, doing some shady shit. Uh, pardon, can I say that? <laughs> of course you can. Yes. <laughs> and, and she, 
you know, she can't believe it at first, obviously, but she she is because of what her sister, how she constructed the cafe, etc. She's now embroiled in this and uh, needs to find a way out and is desperate to protect her sister's reputation also in doing so. And so that one uh, was the first one. And I quite like the theme. And, and the reason that came about is I moved from Edinburgh to Glasgow and, and you know, it's like, ooh, Glasgow, criminal uh, city. And, and you do walk around and the neighborhoods are very close to each other. You know, it's slightly different in Edinburgh where you have more of the outskirts, but, but the sort of poorer neighborhoods and the richer neighborhoods are really on top of each other in Glasgow. And I thought, gosh, I wonder how close I am to the shady stuff. Um, which could be my, my next door neighbor for all I know. I'm a, you know, who's yeah. a doctor who knows what he's doing, but, but, and, and kind of that <laughs> led to then the, the second book of the theme, which is in the, that series, if you like, I, I'm thinking of calling them the Pollock Shields murders as a series, even though it's not the same Ooh. characters, but just a collection. Um, yeah. the Pollock Shields is the area where, where I live and where they're set. And she's a dentist who is traumatized by the death of a patient in her chair and becomes addicted to Valium. And then when she can't, you know, self-prescribe it. Um, she tries to find a way to buy it. She thinks it's legitimate, but actually she's ended up buying it from the local drug dealers who then blackmail her to deal through the clinic. Oh, that's unfortunate. And she needs to get out of that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You have a real flair for character. And I think I was just reading, I, had to, I was reading through Goodreads earlier to see what, because as I say, it can be a bit of, I don't know if you read, do you read Goodreads? Oh, yeah. Or do you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it can be a double-edged sword, but you have very, very positive reviews on there, which is, you know, a testament to how good your books are. My favorite one, though, I have to say, was this one from a man called James. He said, I have a question for um, Helene Kist. What goes on in your head? I'm glad I don't live in there. (laughs) Even so, I'm so happy you write it down, which I thought was really sweet. But all of the reviews talk about your character and Evie in particular. People love Evie, myself included, and Sarah included by the look of things as well. So where, where did Evie come from for you? Is it a, a kind of like an amalgam of people that you know, or is it just in juxtaposition to such horrible people that she's so lovely? Yeah, I wanted her to be an everyday young woman. Uh, all of my characters are a little bit older, you know, and she's mm. early 20s. Uh, I wanted her to feel unfulfilled. Uh, and, and that's why, you know, her, her art is important to her. And and she's in it because it had to be somebody who was in this job. And I was thinking, well, who who in their right mind would want their <laughs> job? Also, I'm sure it can be a lovely job, also. But she definitely needed to not like the job. Uh, and so I uh, made her a little edgy. You know, she's got lots of tattoos that she designs herself. But but the bit where she has been physically and emotionally scarred in in her previous job is really kind of an underlying current of of despair a little bit but at the same time she has a very loving boyfriend uh that she doesn't see because she doesn't necessarily value herself enough and so really the theme for her is you're more than you think you are and and i talk to a lot of young women who don't think they amount to very much and they do and you know i'm 53 now i can be the wise old woman to tell them they're wonderful and uh, <laughs> and they should just um you know shoot for the stars and uh, but yeah, Evie needed to feel stuck in a dead end job, and that's how I, I how I drew her. Can we have your skincare routine, please? Sorry, I just uh, yes, you're, you're great. unbelievable. 
<laughs> that ties quite nicely into a question that we like to ask every author we speak to. If you had to be a character from one of your books, who would you be and why? Oh, super easy. It's Suki. And Suki, I didn't mention Stay Mad Sweetheart, which was my second book. And that's a kind of a feminist corporate thriller talking about the gray areas of consent and discrimination. It's really quite, you know, a smart book from that perspective. It's not just, you know, my boss raped me in the elevator or something, Mm. which is so obviously bad. There are some things where, you know, the whole point is to, to invite discussion, but it's also just a little bit of suits meets nine to five. You know, the three women, they band together and, and give lots of people their, their dues, um, and the Suki is the corporate financier in that uh, book. She is, uh, again, a secondary character to the lead, who is a very bookish uh, data scientist. I don't help myself, by the way, in terms of sales of <laughs> writing about data scientists and dentists. You know, that's not the first thing that people pick up books for. Um, but Suki is a hoot. Uh, there is a big piece of me in Suki, uh, and she's, she makes a reappearance in Killer Bodies. Yes. Um, and uh, and if you'd read, you know, Stay Mad first, you would understand a bit more about why she's, you know, the way she is. But it's uh, she basically does uh, Stay Mad Sweetheart has a corporate deal that goes through. She makes money and then is able to buy an apartment in the apartment building that Killer Bodies takes place. In. And I have little cameos of various characters throughout the books which I do for fun. So somebody who's Love very it. important, uh, you know, uh, plot-wise in Stay Mad Sweetheart comes up in What I Hid From You, um, Grace and and her sister Glory's boys, who are obviously central in the first book. Uh, they walk past in the third book, you know, and, and things like that. And I just do that for, for fun for myself. I'm not sure any reader notices, but I certainly do. <laughs> I love that. Well, as soon as you said Suki, I was like, the Suki. I mean, <laughs> Suki's kind of the woman I think we all want to be deep, deep down, right? She's yes. amazing. Yeah, I mean, she can be uh, a little bit self-centered. But uh, so Suki is a corporate <laughs> financier. She went to Stanford and won't let you forget it. And and that's kind of my inside <laughs> joke because I went to Stanford. But my uh, a lot of what they always say about people who went to Harvard is that they will introduce <laughs> themselves and within 30 seconds, you know, yes. they've went to, been to Harvard. And and so I wanted to give that as a joke to Suki, um, that she'd been to Stanford, and, and you're not going to forget that. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and she is tiny in stature, but giant in, in roar. Um, and and I, I love her for it. She doesn't take any crap. Um, and she and everything is a negotiation. Everything is a deal uh, to be made. So I, I really like her. Yeah, she's a formidable presence. No spoilers for you. Are you writing your next book at the moment? Are you working on anything new at the moment? Right now, no. I'm actually okay. working, uh, doing proper job stuff. <laughs> oh, I, I was just wondering if uh, if anyone from Killer Bodies will maybe show up in the next in the next book. Anyone who lives. That well, is. I mean, I did when I had when I wrote Stay Mad Sweetheart. It was centered around Laura uh, and her data strategy uh, business that then got sold and stuff. And and they did so. There's three characters that band together. Mm-hmm. Um, and my my thought was that I would do more corporate thrillers with Suki. Um, and and that may still happen uh, because I do like her. <laughs> Yeah. Brilliant. You've also, I, I think all four of your books, my right, are set in Scotland. Are you ever tempted to set one in the Netherlands? You know, I, I think that, well, first of all, I haven't lived in the Netherlands since 
1998, nine. Um, <laughs> and I didn't actually grow up there uh, either. So I am uh-huh. Dutch. I went to university there. I lived there a couple of times during my life. But I, I as you can gather from the accent, I've been, I've been all over the place <laughs> uh, growing up. And so the I think the thing about setting it in the Netherlands, which would be great from a tax perspective, you know, I can go home and see my parents and and, and deduct them yeah. from taxes <laughs> as being research. Research, yeah. Is that Dutch people are so incredibly direct that writing their dialogue would just seem implausible to English okay. people. Like they don't speak like that. There's no I mean, this isn't a real character. There's no depth to this character. And why? Because we're completely transparent. We'll tell it like it is. <laughs> Um, to the point of rudeness. And and so I'm not sure you would get the same sort of, you know, nice lyrical feel to the dialogue. That's really Fair interesting. Enough. Nor the same level of beating around the bush, I'm guessing, where English people, Scottish people, Welsh will do anything to avoid insulting each other half the time. <laughs> so. yes. I've just got back from Amsterdam myself, as, I, as you know, and uh, I loved it there. I, I don't know what part of the Netherlands you're from originally but um well so when when in the netherlands and my parents are still there is the hague which is a city that's about 45 minutes uh by train south of amsterdam it's the seat of the parliament so unlike most of um a capital city where the parliament sits the government sits uh amsterdam is the capital but the hague is actually where the government sits and where the king lives oh very very interesting that's a really interesting point. I hadn't considered that about because obviously, you, when you think about the Netherlands, you think, oh, as a setting, it would be stunning because there's so many beautiful areas of it. But yeah, in terms of the personality, that's a really interesting point. Although everyone was very nice that I met, but I couldn't, maybe it's because uh, they wanted my money for things, I suppose. <laughs> be very friendly to foreigners uh, <laughs> but we're still direct right my, my point was yeah. not so much that we weren't nice my point was no, that no, no. there wasn't uh, yeah there wasn't nu- there's no nuance <laughs> mm. yeah no you obviously because you are the loveliest so of course you're all nice uh, so this is your fourth book now that you've done I'm really curious how has your process evolved over writing the first to where you are now yeah I mean I mentioned uh, in servitude I just had a go. <laughs> um, I did take a course. I took the James Patterson Masterclass, which was oh, new wow. at the time. And if you partook in that course at the time that I did it, which was in 2017, you could submit some chapters. And if they picked you, you co-wrote a book with James. Um, wow. So that was very done that. And so one of my classmates, if you like, because it was a Facebook group kind of thing, he got to co-write uh, a book with James. Uh, wow. I didn't. <laughs> his loss exactly uh and i started outlining because you know i'm quite a scientific person i'm a spreadsheety person i'm very analytical my day job is strategy consulting which is all about structure and putting things in boxes so it made complete sense to me to outline and that's what james does as well so I thought, oh great validated you know <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, amazingly the whole thing took about a year and I had set myself, so I had told my Facebook friends on the 1st of January this year, I shall write a book. And that way I was to be held accountable and I couldn't walk away <laughs> from that anymore. And I'd also booked a beta reader, a paid beta reader who would give you, you know, lots of feedback and um, an editorial assessment for the 23rd of December. I would send it to them. Uh, and I did because there's nothing <laughs> like a deadline. <laughs> That's amazing. I can only work when there's a deadline, and and uh, I remember I'll never forget that I, my beta reader was in India, and the next morning I woke up to a stream of emails saying I've received it, thanks. Oh, I started reading it; it's quite good. 
oh my God, what have you done to Grace? And then, oh my God, I think this is fantastic. And I thought, what? This is amazing. That's amazing. I was just, I mean, obviously it needed some work, you know, and then because it's this domestic suspense, but with gangsters, you know, mm. it kind of needed to, to, to come together a little bit more. And I didn't know what I was doing. But, uh, but so that was very encouraging. And then um, for Stay Mad, Again, you know, my outlines, I get teased about this by other authors because I'm an uber plotter. I know everything that's going to happen, everything, every little red herring, everything in advance. And, and so I write an outline that's about 13, 14,000 words, which is about a sixth of a book. And I was talking to an author and she said, but that's a, that's a first draft, basically. And I, like, I guess it is. It's just not written well, you know, and then you have to start writing it nicely and get the depth of character. But I know these characters inside out when I have plotted already, because otherwise you can't make them do what you want them to do. And I, I get asked, you know, do you get that your characters take over? They take you in a direction that you didn't expect. And I'm like, no, because I decided who they were in advance. You know, I went through every scenario and this made sense for them. And it's really a process that I've maintained. And so it takes about a month to plot. Killer bodies maybe a little bit longer because they're quite impossible. <laughs> so you have to... <laughs> You know, get everything that was going to come up later needed to be uh, there, an old Chekhov's gun kind of thing, but multiple of them. And then, yeah, it's a matter of just, you know, sitting at the desk and doing it. And it's not the bit I like the most, I have to say, <laughs> but it, it requires discipline. And it's a bit like training for a marathon, which is not something I would ever do. But, uh, <laughs> but it's similar, you know, you're, you, you just know you need to do it. And then you do it and some days you feel great and some days you feel crap. And then at the end, you're really proud. So, yeah. Wow. That's incredibly impressive. I'm curious, which of your books is your favorite then? Well, they're all really quite different. I mean, Servitude was my first. So uh, it, it's also one that people really resonated with. And, and the only bad reviews I have for that is because they don't like the ending. And I had toyed with it. And, you know, do I do a record scratch ending or do I do a happily ever after ending? Um, and and the ending I chose is quite polarizing because some people Ooh. haven't necessarily read the character in the way that I'd written her. And that's, you know, down to interpretation and all of that. For me, it made sense, not for everyone. And then what I hear from you has a special place because uh, Rada, who's the dentist, uh, has a 15-year-old son. And while she is, you know, dealing with all her stress, so she's this working mother, she's juggling, taking care of her dad and, and her family. And But her boy is distancing because he's 15 and that's entirely normal. Um, yeah. And it kills her. You know, she's really struggling with letting go. And I wrote it when my boy was 15. So uh, that one is uh, dedicated to him. And same at Sweetheart, uh, I just love uh, because it's, it's, a, a good, it's good fun. It's good fun. It's clever. And it's, you know, why data science? Why venture capital? It's because that's my work. You know, I work in technology. I work in venture capital, startups and all of that is part of what I do. So that was really the one where they say, write what you know. Mm. Uh, and I did uh, and then Killer Bodies I just think is really clever <laughs> yeah yeah. to say the least <laughs> so you mentioned that you don't love the sitting down at a desk and actually starting the writing process is that your least favourite thing about it about the whole creation process um, yeah well th there are no, not many bits to the creation process it's words so yeah. plan yeah, and then write <laughs> I really enjoy that <laughs> the rest is many thousands of more words 
(laughs) (laughs) I'm just, you know, so many authors that I meet and the crime community is wonderful. And I've made so many friends and met lovely people like Frankie and and yourself now, Sarah. And (laughs) we're all very different. And many of them, and frankly, most of them always knew they wanted to be a writer. Right. They would write little stories and this and that. I studied chemistry, guys. I mean, <laughs> you know, this is not my world. Uh, I also went to a French school and French literature, you know, is heavy. And they make you read Madame Bovary every friggin' year. And I hate it. And so I was really not a reader um, until well later. And so, you know, I never it, being a writer isn't isn't this innate part of me that that other people have. It's just a mm. skill that I have acquired uh, that I'm having fun with, uh, and yeah. and most of the fun comes from the plotting and the the having fun with other authors and getting really lovely reviews. <laughs> um, and obviously, you know, when I've written my 1,200 words or whatever it is, that's generally on average. Uh, in a day, you know, sometimes you 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 do get in the zone and you come out of it and you read what you've written and you go, oh my god, that's really good. Something like that. Slog, you know, it is a slog. And people say, oh, that's because you outline, but it's not because the outlining. I I just love problem solving, right? And outlining mm-hmm. is is solving the problem because you're building the story. Like, how do I uh, and where does it go? And I need a twist and what would happen there. And so that's really fun. But then you have the skeleton of the story. Then I know what every chapter needs to have, like three bullet points. You know, these three things need to happen in this chapter. Now go write the chapter. And it's, a, it's another puzzle because the puzzle is how do I get the dialogue to flow naturally from point A to B and then to point C? How do I make sure that people understand that when they... When the character does this, the motivation is this, because I know what the motivation is, but I have to share it with you. Um, and so it's a different kind of puzzle. And I, I do still enjoy that um, yeah. because I will sit before I type any words, I'll try to figure out what the flow is. And then I write the flow. Yeah. Wow. How do you feel about the uh, editing process? We find most authors, authors either really love it or the majority very much don't. <laughs> oh, they don't because they didn't outline <laughs> <laughs> I like that. We'll share that comment next time someone says, Oh no, I hate it. Oh, yeah. So draft, you know, you've got the outline, then you have the first draft, which is the whole story. And then I have the second draft where I paint more color and depth of character. Right. So it's almost like you've got the skeleton, you've got the, the muscles and the skin is the first draft. And then I put the makeup on and color the hair whatever, <laughs> and the third one. And then frankly, I'm done. I mean, after that is going through with various softwares, removing the 72,000 instances of the word just and back and right. And I have these words that I know. I even, okay, I'm going to disclose something. Now. I even have a little checklist for every chapter of what it needs to contain in terms of uh, it needs to have at, at least two colors, three senses, one simile. Yeah. So wow. that's that. Uh, <laughs> Um, but, I mean, it tends to happen naturally. I just double check. Sometimes you have a lot of chapters and it just lacks a bit of color. So you just add, you know, but they all need to have at least three senses uh, that are described. So so that's kind of a mechanistic thing. I don't, because I outline and I'm very structured and I know that the pace will work, I don't have this issue of, you know, moving chapters around and all of that for months. I just don't have that. 
Wow. I'm genuinely really impressed that your kind of methodical approach to writing, that's incredible. I don't think we've ever heard anything like that before, Sarah, have we? No, don't think so. I think most authors we've spoken to have said that they're more pantsers than plotters we generally, few, aren't they? Yeah, but no, I mean, that, that, there's plotting and then there's Helene. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> I'm extremely yeah. hung up. Other person who's a big spreadsheet fan is Marion Todd. So if you want to talk to another plotter, go talk to Marion. She's lovely, one. also, um, but she likes her spreadsheets. <laughs> Do you know Tom Wood? Yes. Yeah, Tom Wood, he's got a lot of spreadsheets for his Victor series because it's so long as well. I guess to remember a lot of details, right? You've got to write all these things down, but. Wow. I'm very impressed. That is incredible. I'd love to look through your spreadsheets. Yeah. <laughs> Have a real nose around in there, but it's fascinating. That's not a euphemism, or is it? Uh, <laughs> wow. Okay. So I'm fascinated. Well, you said you weren't a big reader earlier on in your life, but you would you say you are now? How, was, how have you found your journey into reading? So when I was about 14, there was a summer where all of a sudden I found books in French uh, that I did like. And I, I wrote, read a lot of them. And one of them is Les Miserables, actually, by Victor Hugo, which is yeah. a big fat tome. And then I read yeah. a few more uh, Victor Hugo's. But then, you know, life and parties got in the way. I have to say, you know, I'm a very <laughs> yeah. uh, extroverted person. And um, I think, you know, my mom used to try to get me to read the books that she liked as a child. I mean, it's just stupid. You know, I was just not in an... I mean, it's not... You know, I was in an environment where my parents read constantly. That's all they ever yeah. read. They read the paper, they read books, they read, they read. So it wasn't that I didn't have any role models, right? <laughs> it's just that I didn't like it. And then in my student days, I drank too much and I don't think I read anything at all. And then in my uh, first job in Brussels, I'm just trying to think, I think I read the odd book. When I read it was on holiday, you know, and but mm. gradually sort of last 20 years or so, moving to the UK, there's, there are a lot more books around, you know, there's this, uh, and they're a lot cheaper than anywhere else. Books are quite expensive in the Netherlands and mm. on the continent. And um, I got into the James Patterson's and, you know, the, the John Grisham's actually, but um, the one author I probably have read the most of is John Irving. He got me into reading and because they're quirky characters and they're weird stories and you know, the, the, the Grishams, they're fun for airplane rides. You know, I would, I would read on airplanes and, and, you know, I took a lot of planes with my works. So <laughs> I just started reading. Uh, and then I moved to Scotland and you had to eat, read Ian Rankin. Um, yes. I yeah, as you arrive in the city, they hand you a copy, don't they? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome at the airport. Here is yep. lots of crosses and there are another 30 or so to go. And, and my mom liked them, so we would talk about those. And that's really how I got into the crime thing uh, as well. And now I, I mean, I can't read when I'm writing because I don't want the style to influence my voice. And I do my absolute best to read all of my friends' books, but there's lots and lots. So I do get asked, obviously, to, to read and blur some books, which is a great privilege. And, and I'm, you know, I'm like, oh, little me, really? <laughs> Thank you. So actually, next on my list is Catherine Cooper's um, advanced reader copy of The Island, which is her next one. Uh, and I am currently reading uh, Tarek Ashkenani's Welcome to Cooper which I'm a little late to the party with. And I was a little bit apprehensive at the start because it does start with man standing over a dead 
woman, you know, who's been mutilated, but actually it is completely different to any police procedural you've ever read. Thankfully, within a few pages that became clear. Uh, and it's fantastic. And I'm about halfway through. So I, I do read it now. I don't tend to read the bestsellers because they don't need my money. And, and you know, I'll, I'll kind of read my friends who would like a boost. I like that. What's the last book that you read and absolutely loved? Oh, dear. Uh, I really liked Sarah Moorhead's The Treatment, which is actually coming out this week. Ooh, brilliant. And again, it's just very unusual. Um, it's about it's a futuristic, near future, um, speculative story about how we dispense justice uh, to criminals uh, and, mm-hmm. and new ways of doing so and what could go wrong. And it's, it's very clever. And it's got the most spectacular cover you have ever seen. It's like this psychedelic orange thing. You should look it up. It's, it's called... Really? You'll have to now, yeah. Sounds yeah. Great. yeah. And she's a hoot. She's also a very dear friend. So, uh, but yeah, no, it's very inventive. It's very different again. And I like different. I like that. I'll have to look it up. I love speculative fiction. Mm. Going on my TBR. Thank you very much. <laughs> very good. Well, Sarah, is it time now? It's time. I'm afraid, Helene, that I've got to deliver some terrible news to you now, unfortunately. And uh, I think you know what I'm talking about, Helene, because uh, you've been convicted of a terrible, terrible crime. They found you. And, I don't know um, how they found me. I was doing my best. <laughs> I, know. I was surprised they found you. Yeah. Mm. I'm guessing the first question is, what, what did you do, Helene? What did you do? Well, it's probably some sort of financial shenanigans. I think that mm. I must, uh, you know, that's kind of why the money laundering and in, uh, in servitude, because I've done a lot of work for banks and you have to keep doing the anti-money laundering training. So when I thought, what crimes do I know about? I know about money laundering. Nice. <laughs> so it would wow. be a financial shenanigan, I think. Okay. So your training <laughs> lapsed and you committed one of the crimes that you were supposed to be avoiding doing. Whoops. Exactly. And it, it must have been really bad, Helene, that you've done this because uh, you've been sentenced to death, unfortunately. <laughs> I don't know how that would have happened. Maybe you just took all of the money in the UK? I don't know, like all Bank of England? Uh, yep. I took all the money or I took Vladimir Putin's money. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. That'd do it, yeah. I think if you'd done that, we wouldn't, I don't think we'd be a, a trial. I think you would have been disappeared <laughs> by now. Best there I was on death row. I could be in Siberia. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, actually. Okay, wow. Well, I mean, if you're going to take anyone's money, make it make it worthwhile, right? That's a pretty good target <laughs> to go for. Okay. Wow. So you've taken all of Putin's money and unfortunately they caught you. Very unfortunate. You've been sentenced to death. I'm very sorry to have to be the one to tell you that. But good news, Helene, is that uh, we're not going to let you go without having the meal of your dreams. (laughs) So silver lining, what would your death row meal be? Can I get three courses? As many as you want. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I can get more courses. Yeah. yeah. Oh, those tasting menus that you get at Michelin star yeah. restaurant. Yeah. But uh, I went to a very nice kind of Japanese fusion place in, in Brittany mm. recently, a Michelin star thing that has, you know, seven courses. And I couldn't describe what any of it was, but it was magnificent. <laughs> um, I think I am very partial to uh, carpaccio. Mm. Um, and I like tuna carpaccio as much as I like beef carpaccio. So I'd like my starter to be both. Tuna carpaccio, yep. beef carpaccio. 
your choice. Uh, and then the main course, I would like a blackened steak on the mm. rare side of medium rare. And the blackened steak, like they do the proper Cajun in America, you know, when you have the airplane magazines and they advertise restaurants and they have this giant <laughs> fillet steak that's black on the outside and totally pink and beautiful on the inside. I want that one, but it needs to be exactly that. Because okay. they try it here and, and Scotland's got great beef. It's not the same. Did you take the magazine into the restaurant and show them? Or maybe <laughs> next time. <laughs> this one. I, I've tasted it, you know, and then you come to other steak restaurants. It's not the same, mm. even though I mean, Ugh. obviously fillet isn't the tastiest, but I want that yeah. big pave fillet <laughs> of blackened steak mm. with green beans. Don't yeah, care so much good. about the carbs, potatoes or whatever. <gasps> Oh. Whoa, that's a controversial statement. That that is controversial. <laughs> Don't care about the carbs. It's very controversial in my in my household because uh, my husband's father used to be a potato seed salesman, so Oof. potatoes are very important to them. And I'm like, nah. but I probably wow. have sort of pan roasted potatoes with rosemary. Mm. Settle for those. That's good of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice with you know a bit of rock salt on them, and then mm. as dessert, I think it would have to be chocolate mousse. Classic. Nice. That's yeah. a good meal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't promise that it's not been poisoned by Putin's people, but you it'll know what? taste good. What a way to go. Exactly. Yeah. You know, what difference does it make at that point? But wow, great menu. Very solid choices. Yeah. Good picks. Um, and further good news. Well, no, news. further sad news <laughs> first. You're now dead. Very sorry. But that's not good news. But the final piece of good news, we will bury you with one book of your choice. What's it going to be? Uh, probably A Prayer for Owen Meany by John Irving. Oh, nice. Because it has a very unexpected sort of semi-spiritual thing that goes on. Yeah. I don't know if you've read it. You yeah. haven't. When, when people ask me what my favorite book is, it, I say that, but I have to say I read it in the 90s. And I daren't mm. read it again because I liked it so much. And, it was, and, and because I know what happens also, right? And so part of the mm, part yeah. of beauty of the book is because of something happens. But also, I just, yeah, I just want to... Casey doesn't hold up. ...on to that and not, you know, risk that it wasn't as good as I remember. Yeah, yeah that's the problem with things from the 90s is always you could look back and like, oh, no, that's not aged well. <laughs> 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 Yikes. <laughs> but yeah, good. Keep it pure. Keep it safe. Good pick. Yeah. Well, Helene, it's been such a pleasure chatting to you. Where can people find you online to follow? Because you are a joy to follow on Twitter, by the way, X, whatever it's called, wherever that is, <laughs> you are a joy on there. So where can people find you? That's my most active place. And I spend way too much time on it, that's for <laughs> sure. Uh, and I welcome anybody saying hi. And, you know, if you've read my book and you want to tell me it sucks, that's also fine. <laughs> Preferably privately, but yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I, I love engaging with readers, with other authors, with anybody. It's very much a book Twitter for me with the occasional feminism and the occasional Iran revolution and, and stuff and, and anti-Trump shit. But uh, mostly it's book Perfect. Twitter. Um, I, I have a website, which is HelenKiss.com, that I don't maintain particularly well. Um, but if you want to send a specific message to me and you're not on Twitter or X, then uh, there's a contact thing there. Uh, I'm on Facebook uh, with a Facebook page as an author, uh, which again, I don't maintain particularly well. So, uh, but again, if you want to say hi, then by all means, uh, the books are available everywhere, I think. 
uh, and Killer Bodies is the latest one. So that's been out just over a month. Hmm, and I'm inching towards the 50, 50 reviews, which is the magical moment where you feel like your book's doing well. You know? <laughs> Brilliant. Well, we can add two more to that, can't we, Sarah, after this? Yes, so, absolutely. we'll do it. And Frankie, where can people find us online? Oh, she's flipped it. You can find us at Red and Berry Podcast on well, we're only on, I say only, Twitter, Instagram and threads now because we're super modern. Or you can email us at the red and, at podcast at gmail.com. So please do. And thank you again, Haley. It's been such a, such a delight to see you as ever. And hopefully it won't be another Harrogate. I haven't waited another year to see you again in person. <laughs> hopefully I'll see you again before then. Well, I'm first going to bloody Scotland in a couple of weeks. So that's all. <sighs> I've never been. I would love to go. That that torch procession they do looks incredible. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Did you go last year as well? Uh, yeah, I've been every year since I was on stage wow. there uh, in 2018. So I enjoy it. It's very amazing. Intimate. Anyway, guys, thank you so much. This has been great fun. It's lovely to see thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and please do come back when yes. five happens. Okay. Thank love, you. <laughs> love that. that. And thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back soon yeah. with another episode. Bye bye. <laughs> Bye. We never know how to end these, Hayley. So awkward. (laughs) Bye. Hello, everyone. This is Tony Black, co-host and producer of You Have Been Watching, a podcast all about British sitcoms. Myself and co-host Robert Turnbull take you on a range of Britcom subjects and shows in our discussions, including greats such as Faulty Towers. Basil, in in the same way as... as David Brent and uh, Alan Partridge and Victor Meldrew. Basil works best when he is actually dealing with arseholes. Lesser known curios such as 15 Stories High. There are all these kind of like gag setups being put in place uh, in that episode. And then the, the sort of the end like minute or so is basically the payoff to all of these gags. And it's very, very sitcom-y. And even top tens such as sitcom theme tunes. If we have to put composers of theme tunes in context for British sitcoms, I think Ronnie Hazelhurst he's, he's possibly the John Williams of. I was just going to say he is the, he is the John Williams yeah, of. I think of, I think uh, he is British sitcom. We're available on all podcast platforms and on social media at YHB Watching Pod on Twitter and Facebook. So please subscribe, get in touch, and come and have a laugh with us. Mm.